I would like to confess just right off the bat uh, a, a story that's kind of embarrassing. It doesn't paint me in the best light, but those are the best stories, right? Uh, when I was a kid, school was super easy for me, a breeze, like it always was. I was the kid that uh, got A's every single time, and the, stu- the teacher would always write on my report card, you know, things like a pleasure to have in class, and you know, all of the wonderful things, always has his homework done. And then I remember my mom would go to parent-teacher conferences, and she would, uh, they would say, you know, oh, Brian's an angel, and thank you, he must be such a delight at home. And then she would come home and say, how come you're not a delight at home? How come you're not an angel when you're here with me and your sister? Which is totally true. That was me. I was one person at school, and I was a holy terror at home. Um, then I went to college. So that was like elementary school, high school, super easy. And then I went to college. Uh, I'll never forget my very first uh, Old Testament history class. I was just talking about to the college small group uh, about this class that I had. Uh, the professor, this is going to sound very disrespectful, but he was kooky. He really was. Like he was just a different kind of man. Loved God so much, but he was a little strange. Uh, my professor, he would, he would go on archaeological digs in Israel to look for things that happened in the Old Testament. Uh, I, I, I would never dream of doing such a thing. I can't imagine. I would never do that. But he loved to do that. And he actually had like some papers published of things that he found that proved that the Old Testament was reliable because he dug in the ground. You know, it's just crazy. Um, he handed out a ver- very first test that I had. Uh, in class, Old Testament history class, and it about killed me. It was the hardest test I had ever taken in my entire life, and I was just shocked, right? The straight-A kid got hit with a big old packet of Old Testament history, and I failed it. It was the first F I ever got in my whole life. I was devastated. Um, apparently paying attention kind of half-heartedly in class wasn't going to cut it anymore. That's what I did in elementary school, middle school, and high school. But in college, it was a whole different story, right? I, showing up to class wasn't uh, enough. College teachers or college professors, they don't really care if I'm a delight to have in class, right? <laughs> There's no little box for comments in my uh, report card in college. They just want to know if you know the material, right? And I did not. I did not know the material. And for a kid who always got straight A's, that F stung. Oh, my goodness. It rocked my little world, right? So I went to the professor's office. Of course I did. To plead my case, right? To just go, I don't understand what happened. This has never happened to me before. I knocked on my professor's door, and I heard him talking. And I kind of, you know, peeked in the window. I thought somebody was in there. He's just talking to himself. I remember I told you it was a little different, right? Now later, much later in my college career, I realized that my professor was actually talking to God in his office and not in like a crazy person way. My professor breathed conversation with God. He was constantly speaking to his creator. He would say things like, oh Lord, help me find this book that I know I have. It was like God was sitting in his office with him all day long. That was just the kind of man that he was. 
So I sat down and I told him, you know, I don't know what happened. I've never gotten a grade like this before. What do we do? It never happened. And I remember, I will never forget, he listened very, very patiently, very kindly. He had the tiniest smile on his face. You know what the smile meant, right? Tiniest little smile on his face. And he finally asked me, well, Brother Brian, that's what he called me, Brother Brian, how much time did you spend uh, getting ready for this test? You know what I told him, right? Well, I've been in class every single morning at 7 a.m. Not true, but it was close, right? I was there most of the time. It was a 7 o'clock Old Testament history class. Like, it requires a huge amount of motivation to go to that. That was tough. And then he asked me, well, okay, that's fine, but how much did you prepare outside of class? Well, nothing, right? I mean, I read some things. I don't know that I studied. I never had to do that before. School was easy. I never studied for a test. So he and I both knew what the solution to the problem was. He was very kind. I think he, I think he might have even patted me on the head. <laughs> you know, like, there, there, little Brian. It'll be all right. And he said, he said, Brother Brian, I bet you if you put some more effort into the next test, you're going to get back up to the A's that you're used to getting. And I'll never forget it. Then he just turned, continued the work that he was working on, not in a rude way, but he just knew the conversation was over. I had what I needed. And he went back to talking to the Lord as though I wasn't in the room anymore. And I knew the class never once got easier. It was hard, hard, hard. It was full of memorizing things. For me, that didn't necessarily grow up in the church, it was tons and tons of new information. It was just stuff I had never heard before. The goal, I realized that if the goal is to understand Old Testament history, then showing up to class once a day wasn't enough. Right? My presence in that room, just sort of passively absorbing information, doesn't cut it. It didn't get me to the grades that I wanted to get. It helped, right? It's a, it's a good thing to know what the professor has to say uh, during class, but it's just too much to reduce down to an hour a day. Does anybody sense the parallel of where we're going with this sermon by any chance? It's not enough to just passively absorb for one hour a week that's not going to cut it. That's not going to get us to what we're, where we want to be. So our Thrive Plan, part of our goal is for every single person that calls uh, Central their church home to be a mature disciple of Jesus. Not just a disciple of Jesus, but a mature disciple of Jesus. And we throw that phrase around a lot, a mature disciple of Jesus. And so what I thought we could do this morning is define what we're talking about. I think a lot of times we just say things and we don't ever define them and what, see what, what is the goal. If we want everybody in this room and outside the room and everybody in the city of Rockford to become a mature disciple of Jesus, then what does it mean? How do we know when we're mature? When do we get to put our feet up and relax a little bit? What does it look like for us to grow, to go from immature to mature believers? What's an immature believer look like? How do they act? What do they do? What's a mature believer look like? And maybe more importantly, I want to talk about how we mature and grow. What happens if we don't? A lot of questions. I'm not going to answer all those questions today. Don't worry. I saw everybody sweating a little bit. So goodness gracious, is he going to do all those? No. 
Um, I think the best resource that we have is the Bible. God's Word describes to us what mature believers of Jesus, what followers of Jesus look like. And actually, there's a ton of ways the Bible gives us to evaluate ourselves. So you guys remember the test I failed, right? I failed because passively absorbing for one hour a day during class, it was not enough. It wasn't even close. And that is pretty much exactly what it is when we show up to Sunday morning services, and that's the sum total of the spiritual development that we do for that week, right? I did math. I'm not a mathematician, okay? But I did some math this week. If you show up here for one hour, that is about... 1% of your waking hours a week. So if you're only here and only investing in in, in our spiritual development for one hour a week, how much more mature are you going to be after a year of that? About 1% more mature. I know, we're kind of making up numbers, but you guys get the the drift. Now, if you're a super good Christian and you attend Disciple Hour class, uh, which we're about to go to right after this, well, that that gets you up to just a little over 2%, right? That's not great. Like, that's not a whole lot of time spent investing in how good a follower of Jesus that we are. Please don't go home and tell everyone you know that Brian Rodert says that coming to church isn't all that important. That is not what I'm saying. I'm saying if this is the only thing that we do, if this is the sum total of our investment in our spiritual walk, it's not going to get us very far. I'm super ahead of myself in the sermon already. I'm going to have to go back a step, okay? So that test that, we took, that I took was an excellent way for me to figure out where I was at in the knowledge of the subject, right? The professor said, you have to know this chunk of stuff. He put lots of fill-in-the-blanks and essays and dates. Oh, he put dates. I hate dates. I cannot remember, remember dates. But he put all of these things on the test and then said, how much of the chunk of stuff you were supposed to know do you know? The results were clear. Not much. How do we do the same thing for our spiritual lives? There's no test that God is going to hand out on a piece of paper with fill in the blanks, right? So how do we evaluate that if there's no heavenly test getting sent to us? When Sherm talked to me about preaching this sermon, I immediately thought of, the fruits of the Spirit. It's a, it's a passage of Scripture that we find in the book of Galatians. Uh, Paul, the apostle, wrote the book. Uh, is actually a letter uh, to a city called Galatia. There was a church that met in that city, and it was kind of a, here's how you need to get better. Like, here are some good things that you're doing, O city, O church in Galatia. Here's some things that you need to work on. And in chapter 5, the very end of the book, uh, here's what he says. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance. You might know patience. Different translations say different words. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step with with the Spirit. I love that, that way of saying it. Uh, one time, when, when Jesus was still on earth, he told his disciples that it was better if he left, because if he left, the Spirit would come. 
And the disciples all kind of panicked. Like, what do you mean? Why, where are you going? Why are you leaving us? But Jesus himself said, it's better if I go. He was talking about his death. Because when I die, the Holy Spirit comes. And the Holy Spirit coming for us is much better than having Jesus physically with us. That's his words that I struggle to believe. Because I think all the time, how incredible would it be to have Jesus here with us, right? This morning, uh, Jesus is going to be leading us in the time of worship. Oh my word, that would be amazing, right? But Jesus says, no, it's better if he's not here because when he leaves, the Holy Spirit comes. Now, the reason why that's better is because the relationship that we have with the Holy Spirit is much more intimate than what we could have with Jesus in the flesh. The Holy Spirit lives in us. Jesus does not, right? The Holy Spirit is inside of us. At the moment when we decide to follow Jesus and become a Christian at baptism, we get the Holy Spirit and He lives in us. That that intimacy provides a way for God to scoop out the nasty stuff that's inside of us. He gets to use His flashlight and look in at the real Brian Rodert and say, oh, Brian, you got to work on this stuff real bad, right? It's much more intimate than having Jesus with us physically, because I can leave Jesus physically. The Holy Spirit is with us all the time. The Spirit is going to help us in this maturing process. Um, and, and this passage tells us that we're supposed to keep in step with the Spirit. Keeping in step with the Spirit means that when the Spirit moves, I move, right? If He goes this way, I go this way. In the same direction, at the same time, in the same speed, right? When he turns, we turn. When we keep in step with the Spirit, all those areas of our, of our lives that we mentioned earlier, uh, love and joy and peace and patience, that's going to improve because he's going to say, Brian, you are not a patient person. And if I'm in step with the Spirit, then I'm going to say, Spirit, you're right. And I need to work on that. That's how we mature as believers, as followers of Jesus. Here's where I am. The Spirit says we're going over here. And I say, okay, let's keep in step with Him. We need to be, we will find that we are more loving. We are more joyful. We are more peaceful. We are more patient. We are more kind. We are more good. We're more faithful. We're more gentle. We're more self-controlled. Where are we on this list? Have you improved in these areas? Look back pre-pandemic time. The pandemic is how we measure everything, right? Look back to pre-pandemic times. Are you more patient than you were? Are you more faithful than you were? Are you more loving? Are you more gooder? That's not a word. Are you more good? Are you more self-controlled? This is really hard because we're not very good at stopping and evaluating ourselves like this. This doesn't come naturally to us. For one, it causes us to just sit and think. We're not very good at just sitting and thinking. Two, we are excellent. Well, I am excellent at deceiving myself. Oh my, in my head, I'm a wonderful follower of Jesus, right? I bet you are too. We all are. We are so good at deceiving ourselves that that's why we need the Holy Spirit inside of us going, no, 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 you're not as good as you think you are, right? If we want to be mature followers of Jesus, we have to improve in all of these areas that Paul mentioned in the book of Galatians. 
Paul wrote, uh, he wrote other similar things. Actually, a lot of times in a lot of the letters that he sent to the churches where he had visited, he wrote things like this where he knows that the church is new-ish and they're going to need to work on some things. And so he's going to say, hey, if you want to grow as a follower of Jesus, you need to go do these things. Uh, he told the Philippian church that he prayed that their love would abound more and more. Isn't that something? I love the way that that's written. That if you're here, he wants your lo- you to become more and more loving as time passes. When he wrote to the church uh, in Corinth, he kind of rebuked them uh, because he said that you guys need milk, not solid food, right? Babies drink milk. So he's calling the Corinthian church a bunch of babies. Spiritually, they were not mature. And he said, my word, now you shouldn't be drinking milk anymore. You should be eating steak and potatoes, right? Solid food, something with meat on it. Uh, the Apostle John, when he was writing the very last book in the New Testament, the book of Revelation, um, he prophesied to some of the early, early churches in some of the different cities. And he, he also rebuked the church in Ephesus because he said that they had forsaken the love that they had at first. So the love that they had for God was diminishing over time. And, and, and John's saying that's the opposite Your love is supposed to increase over time, not decrease. Growth is built into being a follower of Jesus. It is assumed that we will all look back and say, I was more immature last year. I was more immature 10 years ago. I was more immature when I came up out of the baptistry than I am today. I think this is where... um, it's really valuable for us to be a part of a Christian community, a church, because we are so good at deceiving ourselves. And I need other people in my life to say, Brian, what you said wasn't very nice. That wasn't very patient. You're not kind today. What's your deal? I think we need other people in our lives to get, that have permission to get in our faces and say, you need to fix this. This isn't right. You, they need to point out when we're doing things that are unloving or unkind. We need people in our lives that can tell us, you are not in step with the Spirit. Because I think it's easier for us to see it in somebody else. Now, please, don't just go around yelling at everybody you see. I think we have to, there has to be kind of a, a reciprocal permission in that. But I've said this before, there's very little uh, opportunity for us to do that with each other on a Sunday morning. We're all... You're all looking at me. You're not looking at each other right now. And even if we all attend a class after this, it's very difficult for us to say, hey, Stan Stewart, I wanted to kind of point out some things that you needed to improve at in your life this week. It just doesn't happen. That's why if, if, you're, if everything that we do regarding our spiritual development happens here, we're going to be lacking something. It's... Um, this just came to me. <laughs> I think that's why the whole, having the Holy Spirit inside of us is so important. Because He can highlight the things that we have hidden. We think that we have hidden. He knows. He looks at every little dark crevice that we think is hidden from Him. But He knows. He is the best judge of character that He is. Because He doesn't see the facade that we put on 
uh, when we show up here on Sundays, right? He's able to get past all of that stuff and see us for the heart of who we are. And what's so interesting, the Holy Spirit can see us for who we were created to be. He understands the potential that all of us have in God's kingdom. And that's what he wants us to get, strive for and to get to. We have to, be, we have to improve in this. We have to get better at listening to the Holy Spirit. I pray this prayer a lot because I think I, just going about my day and doing stuff, going to meetings, answering the phone, running errands, it's so easy for me to tune out the Spirit. I, that he, I don't want to say never, but he rarely yells. Rarely The Spirit waits for us to be still and quiet, and then He speaks. And if we are never still and quiet, we will never hear Him speak. Uh, This past week, Heidi and I, my wife and I, had an opportunity to meet a family uh, from Italy. Uh, They flew uh, here to Rockford. Um, uh, Let me, I'll try and summarize this story kind of quickly. So, um, they live in northern Italy, and Stefano, that's the, um, the guy's name, he uh, is something of a disciple maker. That's what he does. He is a part of a community of believers who uh, is very passionate about sharing their faith with the lost and maturing believers and, and growing disciples uh, in Italy. And you guys know uh, my family and I, we used to live there, so we got invited to a dinner with this family that flew over to Chicago. They're partnered with Northeast Christian Church over on Riverside. Um, the church at Northeast is pouring into them and wants to see their ministry succeed. And so we got to come as translators, right? We got to be the people that made sure everybody understood each other. This is a true story. We're in, me and Heidi are in the van on the way over to the house. And I said, oh, Heidi, I don't want to speak Italian. It's... It's been seven years since I've spoken Italian, right? Like, I'm going to be blah, 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 not able to get my point across, right? I can understand it pretty well, but then I have to open my mouth and my brain just shuts off, right? So we show up at dinner, we meet Stefano and his family, and we're, we sit down next to them because we want to make sure that, you know, we're kind of the bridge between the English speakers and the Italian speakers. And Stefano opened up his mouth and he started talking to me. And I swear, if you were sitting on the other side, you could have heard the, heard the gears in my brain, like, you know, like, trying to shift from, I've been speaking in English for seven years, and now I have to speak in Italian. And like, oh my word, I forgot all this stuff. How am I, what am I going to do, right? Why? Why did I forget that stuff? Because I haven't done it, right? It just goes away over time. Man, I worked hard for all that Italian, and now it's in there somewhere, but it just never comes out when it's time, right? That is, that's how language learning works. Use it or lose it. So I got to use it more because every now and then somebody's going to say, oh yeah, Rodert, he used to speak Italian, and then I'm going to have to do it again, right? I, I had to get used to the, the rhythm of how an Italian person speaks, and I had to remember all the phrases that Italians use, and oh yeah, what does that mean in English? And then when I have to open my mouth up and talk back, oh yikes, I was rusty. The foreign language is in there, it is in there, but it's just not at the surface anymore. Our spiritual lives are just like that. If we don't work on things, we are going to get rusty. 
And when we are called upon to do this spiritual thing, you're going to be able to hear the shifting and the grinding of the gears as you think, oh my, I haven't done this in a while. Um, I was leading a small group this week of uh, all the college kids, and I told them that one of the things that uh, this past week, and I told them one of the things I want to focus on this year is I want to pray together a lot. And it's so easy for us to get in a rut when it comes to prayer, where prayer just becomes, God, here is the list of things that I need, that I want you to do for me. When I, I have really been convicted by this lately, I think that prayer is more about, hey, God, I want my will to align with your will. That's a different kind of prayer, right? That's going to change how the things that I talk to God about. That's going to change me from telling God my Santa Claus list of things that I want him to do for me. And it's going to say, no, God, I want to be more aligned with you. I want to be in step with your spirit. So I, I told the college kids, that's what we're going to work on this uh, year together. We're going to deepen our prayer lives. Because if we don't work on our prayer lives, it's going to get rusty. A group of us, uh, there were some guys in the church, we went through the New Testament together at the beginning of the year. Uh, we used the Bible app on our phone, and it sends you a notification and tells you what you're supposed to read that week. And we all did that together. And then, you know, when... When Jim would fall behind, uh, I got to call him and say, hey, slacker, hurry up. And then when I would fall behind, somebody else would call me and tell me I'm a slacker. It was great. Uh, Good encouragement uh, to keep up with reading God's Word. Uh, When the plan was finished, right? We finished, we read the whole New Testament in three months, I think is what it was. When the plan was finished, I said, okay, I need to take a little bit of a break because we read through the New Testament pretty quick. And I need to just slow down. Sometimes Bible plans are hard for me because it's like boom, 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 boom. It never stops, right? And I need to chew on stuff for a little bit. So when I took a break, this is a true story. I, re- I just said I'm going to take a little a pause. And two weeks passed, and I realized that I hadn't even opened my Bible in that two weeks. And I'm like, how did that happen? Like I was reading God's Word every single day at kind of a quick pace, and I said I need to just slow down and take a rest, and boom, before I know it, weeks had passed. And I thought, man, i got to get this habit again. Has that ever happened to you guys? The gears needed to get back into reading God's Word, making that a part of who I am. I don't know how it happened, but my Bible reading time got rusty, because it just does. Serving others, fasting, giving time, giving money, pick a spiritual discipline, whatever it is. If we don't use it, we're going to lose it. We're going to get rusty. And if we're serious about maturing as disciples, and I hope that we are, then we're going to have to practice those disciplines. We're going to have to do it even when we don't want to do it. We're going to have to do it when we're tired. We're going to have to do it so that we don't get rusty. We're going to have to be very intentional about these things because if we just leave it to inertia, chances are those things aren't going to happen. We will never, ever grow as a Christian on autopilot. It just doesn't happen. Until I made a change and decided to study for my Old Testament history class, there were nothing but Fs in my future, right? Oh, there's a book I wanted to recommend. Uh, It's called 10 Questions to Diagnose Your Spiritual Health. Um, I don't think it looks like this anymore. I think I have an old copy. When I looked it up uh, this week, it was different, but it's the same book. Uh, it's pretty short. Chapters are easy to read. Um, so good. 
like four or five pages a chapter that ask really good questions to help us examine, like where are we in our Christian walk? What are areas that we're weak in? What are we strong in? Uh, I would encourage you to, to look it up and grab a copy. Um, this book is the equivalent of me sitting down with my professor and him explaining to me why I got an F on the Old Testament history class or test. So how I'm going to finish this morning is I, this is cheating, so you, you got to go actually buy the book and read it, but I'm just going to go through the 10 questions that he asked in his book. We're not going to elaborate or anything. 10 questions, I'm going to comment on some of them, and then you're going to sit for a minute. We're all going to sit for a minute and just do some thinking. Where am I in my spiritual walk? If I answered this question a year ago, would my answer have been different than it is right now? Um, hopefully this will kind of spur us on to get used to thinking in this way. Question one, do I thirst for God? Question two, do I still grieve over sin? I think that's an interesting one because... It implies that I better always grieve for it. I better always be aware of the sin that's in my life that I need to work on. Number three, am I a quicker forgiver? Number four, am I more loving? Number five, am I sensitive to God's presence? Am I concerned for others? Am I governed by God's word? I love this next one. Do I delight in the church? Are the spiritual disciplines important to me? Last one, do I yearn for heaven and to be with Jesus? That's not a I can't wait to be dead question. That's a I can't wait to be in heaven question. You see the difference between those two? Do I yearn for heaven and to be with Jesus? If we take time to evaluate where we are and we realize that the sum total of our spiritual training happens in this room on Sunday morning, then we're going to fall short every time. It's just not enough. And it's, it's too important to leave to just that. We have to be willing as a church to do more if we're really going to grow. Let's pray together. God, I know there's a lot of ways, areas that I fall short. Uh, just looking at these 10 questions, 
uh, much less other passages from, uh, from your word. Uh, Father, I've got a lot of room to grow. I don't say that because I want to kick myself or, or say poor little me. I just am aware that I, I have more work to do. Father, I thank you in all of these questions. Um, we're still forgiven. We're still covered by your grace. Um, we don't need to be in fear of you because we still have room to grow. Actually, that's, it's the opposite. Uh, we need to run to you because we still have uh, room to grow, not hide from you. Help us to do that as a church, for us to, be, to make it a regular habit to evaluate where we are spiritually, for us to invest in um, our maturity as a church. Um, Father, I know that uh, the overall maturity of Central Christian Church is really going to be the average of everybody's maturity inside the church. God, I pray that we would all grow and mature and look at things like the fruits of the Spirit and find ways where we're weak and seek to uh, grow. God, ultimately, we're going to look more like your Son. That's the goal. We want to act like Him. We want to talk like Him. We want to treat others like Him. Help us to do a really good job of that. I pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.